0: And the first question is going to be, what is this? That's a question for maybe especially any under the age of 18. Ah, good. At least one. Do you know, I wondered a bit whether how many people would actually recognize this. Just out of, um, out of interest, let us have a quick show of hands. How many people recognize this, this object? Okay, not, not many. But I think, yeah, so I think you had your hand up uh, first. What is it? It's a dagger, but it's a very particular... That's right, it's a very particular dagger. Uh, Anglo-Saxon, an, 8th century, chieftain ceremonial. Um, <laughs> an 8th century Anglo-Saxon chieftain um, from Mercia. No, no, that's... A, I, I really like that answer. I, I, I really wish that were true, but it's, that's not actually the right answer. Oh, I see. Yes, you've seen that dagger before, have you? Uh, no, so maybe it's, maybe it's not a very well-known dagger. Is it the Sikh ceremonial? It's not a Sikh ceremonial dagger. Rach, I know you know what this is. It, this is the subtle knife. Now, how many of you know what the subtle knife is? Uh, yes. So what is the subtle knife, Tammy? It's from a series by Philip Pullman called... That's right. It's from, uh, that's right, it's from His Dark Materials. So, His Dark Materials is a, I suppose it's a series for young adults upwards of novels, and it's been televised, and this is the... Now, what's special about the subtle knife in the series, His Dark Materials? Yeah, it's so sharp that one thing it can do is cut the way from one world to another. And what else can it, can it do that you couldn't do with an ordinary knife? You could, well, but you can, do that with an, or you can do that with an ordinary knife, but it's, a, it's, very, it's very sharp, I suppose, for those purposes. Um, so there's a character, there's a polar bear character called uh, Yorick in, uh, in in his Dark Materials who has armour made of sky iron and the subtle knife is the only thing that can cut through the sky iron of Yorick Bernersen's armour. So it's very, very sharp and dangerous. Who knows or could guess maybe what this is a photograph of? It's fire. Does anyone know where? Do you know or could you guess? It is the fire on Ilkley Moor a few years ago. Okay, so that was a fire. Do we, uh, can any of you remember... From the news, like how the Ilkley Moor fires were started. A barbecue was one, some of them, part of it was started with a barbecue, um, and a cigarette, light, a cigarette lighter was, uh, was another part. So, massive forest fires on the moors between sort of here and uh, Wharfdale. Uh, but started with something very small, a cigarette lighter. So the question that I want to ask you is, have you got anything... Okay, and that's part of the devastation afterwards. um, Have you got anything as dangerous as the subtle knife or the um, lighter that um, uh, that could start a huge moorland fire? Have you got anything like that? Well, uh, okay, this is sort of amnesty breaking out here for for various dangerous weapons. that, uh, (laughs) Yeah, cars, okay. Now, I want want to uh, explain. The Bible tells us that we have all got something that is as dangerous as those things. So if you all do like you do at the dentist, big R. uh, Because the Bible tells us that our tongue, I get a lot of jip in our family for my very large tongue. So they call it my, <laughs> when I'm licking an ice cream, references are made to dad's cow tongue. Uh, <laughs> which I think personally is a bit harsh. Uh, but, um, <laughs> so the Bible tells us that our tongue and how we speak, is a, it's small, but it's dangerous. It, uh, it's like a little spark that could start a forest fire like those uh, fires on Elkley uh, on Moor. Now, this Lent, we're talking about walking in the way of Jesus. Um, so this is the best picture that I could come up with of... So there Jesus in his teaching presents us with two ways to live, and Nathaniel was talking about this last, last week. There's the sort of broad highway that leads to destruction, and there's the narrow gate and the narrow and difficult way that leads to life. Okay, now if you thought that the broad road that leads to Hull was the M62, uh, well, I I quite like actually how that sort of represented like kind of motorway. Uh, But there's a broad road, and many travel on it. And that's the normal way for people to go. And the way of Jesus is this narrow gate and a difficult climb and a painful road, but it leads to life. So how can we tread the, the way of Jesus? How can we walk the way of Jesus in how we speak? And what I want us to think about uh, just now to, to help understand that is what does it sound like to speak the way of Jesus? And what does it sound like to speak in the way of the, the enemy, the broad road that leads. So I've, I've used the word for, for God's enemy here, the accuser, because when we're talking about our speech, that's, that's, that's if you like, a very appropriate name um, to use. So I want you to close your eyes, and we're going to think first about what the voice of the accuser sounds like. So if we all close our eyes, and I want you to remember... Or imagine a time where somebody has spoken to you and it made you feel rubbish inside. Maybe what they said to you was all about how you're always getting things wrong or how you were useless or they said something to you or how they treated you and how they spoke to you made you feel worthless, made you feel rubbish. Now, it's not nice to remember those sorts of things, but when that happens, I think probably most of us can remember a time when somebody has spoken to us like that, and that is what the accuser's voice sounds like. Okay, so if you open your eyes, that, so that's, that's, what it, that's what speech in the way of the accuser sounds like, and I think we probably all know it, right, because we've all been on the receiving end, and it's not very nice. Now let's, let's remind ourselves what it's like to speak in the way of Jesus. So if you close your eyes again, I'm going to remind you what his voice sounds like. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God made us in his own image and when he looked at us, he saw that it was very good. The Bible says, you are God's work of art, His beautiful creation. The Bible calls us God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And hear the voice of the Lord one last time now. What extraordinary love God has poured out upon us that we should be called children of God. But that is what we are. So the accuser's way of speaking is all about accusation and worthlessness. And the Lord's way of speaking is about building up with love, often undeserved love. Okay, so... We've got, we've got two ways to speak. There's a way of speaking that's walking the narrow way, the way of Jesus. And there's a way of speaking that's walking the way of the accuser. Now let's hear what Jesus had to say about this. Um, and from a, a part of the Bible, part of Jesus' teaching, that we're doing quite a lot of these Lent uh, talks from, uh, from a, a part of the Gospel of Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus said... You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anybody who murders will be liable to the judgment. But what I tell you is that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, that may, maybe means something like, you worthless person, you're, you're useless. Anybody who calls their brother or sister useless is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So let's not maybe kind of focus too much on the kind of judgment and fires of hell bit, although maybe adults who think that Jesus never talks about those things might like to take note. He does. But the point that I think we need to take here is that for Jesus, how we speak is like really important. He takes this very seriously. Here's another part of the Bible that, if you like, gives the positive side of that. It's from the book of Proverbs. Whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Here's my little paraphrase of that, maybe help us unpack it the person who wants to foster love, if we want to foster love, the person who does that covers over somebody's wrongdoing, even when they've done wrong. The person who wants to foster love will try and cover it over, will try and smooth it over. But when you repeat the bad thing that somebody's done, you're spreading hostility, the kind of hostility that can even separate close friends. The person who wants to foster love covers over a wrongdoing but the person who repeats the bad thing spreads hostility that's even powerful enough to divide close friends so how can we how can we do that in a way our practical question today is how can we do that more in our lives how can we walk the way of Jesus and how can we tread less the broad road that most people travel that leads to destruction um, so, I want to make a few suggestions, and in, for the chat zone later on, there's going to be a chance to kind of unpack these a bit more. So, who, who are you too quick to criticize? And one question that has been on my mind this week is, in, say, your family, or your workplace, or your group of friends, is it always the same person who gets all the jip? Right, that's, that's maybe, right, so I've got a look of recognition from Rach there um, because I think maybe in many families, so it's the same in our family as it actually was in my family growing up, who, who would it be? The, oh, oh, okay, so that's not the answer. So it might be the youngest, yeah, so that wasn't how, how it is with us. But um, some, some nods. Who else might it be other than the youngest? The dad? Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so it's good. Right, okay, so my, my, my theory is <laughs> totally wrong. I, I've, um, there, but there are at least two examples where it's the mum, where the mum gets a lot of the jib. Um, uh, and uh, that's, that's uh, sadly how it is in, in our house, and it wa- that's how it was um, for us growing up. Well, (laughs) Um, whose reputation, so this is maybe um, in groups at school, whose reputation do we need to be more careful of, or at work, um, or I mean for me maybe this has been challenging, think about how I talk and write about politics, whose reputation do we need to be more careful of in how we speak about them? Because everybody, everybody's got a reputation and when your reputation's bad, it can be really difficult and hurtful and it's hard to recover. And who could you encourage more? Okay, so that's a question for, that I'm sure each of us can think of an answer to. Who could you encourage more? Okay, now thinking about those questions is going to help us to walk more in the way of Jesus in how we, in how we speak. And that's the kindness aspect to this. But there's another aspect to uh, walking in the way of Jesus in our speech, um, which I'm going to introduce with... So, I'm not going to lie to you, says somebody as they're, as they're about to say, say something. I'll be honest with you, such and such. Okay, who's, who's heard somebody say that recently? Okay, and you can internally put your hand up if you have said something like that uh, uh, recently. Now, why would anybody need to say that? Why would anybody need to say, I'm not going to lie to you? I mean, like, what have you been doing the rest of the time? (laughs) Um, Here's what Jesus said in a slightly strange way. Um, again, uh, Jesus said, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, don't break your oaths, but fulfill uh, to the Lord the oaths that you have made. But I tell you, don't swear any oaths at, oaths at all. Don't, don't say, I swear, I, I swear by heaven that I'm going to do this. Well, heaven's God's throne. Or don't say, I swear by the earth. For it's his footstool, or I swear by Jerusalem, or I swear by my head. Jerusalem's the city of the great king, and your head, you can't make even one hair of it turn white or black at will. All you need to say... (laughs) Oh, well, yeah, you can make it go red at will. Yeah, yeah, we've got a good... Yeah, yeah, it doesn't work so well in these days of hair dye, does it? But, uh, yeah, there we go. Jesus says... All you need to say is yes or no. Make your yes and your no so trustworthy that you never need to tell people that you're being honest with them because they know you are, because it's you. So questions for us in, in applying this, I think, is how can we walk in, in the way of Jesus by not exaggerating what we say. So, exaggerating what we say so that what we say is maybe a bit more funny. I think, I think when we chat at school, like when we tell stories, we can sometimes sort of exaggerate, make our story a bit more exciting than what it actually was so that so it's more funny. And maybe we think the sort of people will be more impressed with us. Or we tell stories about ourselves that are a bit exaggerated that make us look a bit better. So exaggerating, or keeping quiet when we need to own up. And another area that that there'll be chance to think about in the chat zones is sometimes it's difficult to be both quiet and, uh, sorry, it's difficult to be kind and truthful. So we might think a little bit about, about that. And the passages actually don't give us an answer to that question, but the passages do tell us that those those kinds of cases should be difficult for us. Okay, final little last thing that I think we as Christians, this is maybe more one for the, for the adults, need to be thinking about, and this needs to be on our agenda, is truthfulness in our public life, in our national life. And I want to read out something from uh, a book by a guy called Peter Oborn, um, who is a journalist, I think he's mostly retired now, He's um, he's not really my kind of politics. Uh, massively in favour of Brexit. Lifelong conservative, and for anybody who knows my politics, that, that's not exactly my politics. But he's right about this. So this is from a book that he and he's married to a he's a it's not a Christian book. Um, this book called The Assault on Truth. Um, but he is a churchgoer in Chiswick, and his wife's a vicar. Um, and this is what he and. I apologize. In a way, I know politics is difficult to tackle in church, but I think we have to face up to issues of truthfulness within our national life because it's a problem for us. So Peter Oborn writes this. Standards of truth-telling, he says, I will prove, have collapsed in recent years. Previously, however strongly people disagreed with one another, there was a common standard of factual accuracy on which people of goodwill could agree. No longer. Truth, for nearly two centuries, a powerful, though sometimes muddy river running through the public domain, has been captured by the government and turned into a political weapon. The extinction of truth, he says, is a disaster. Political lying is a form of theft. It takes away people's democratic rights. Voters can't make fair judgments on the basis of falsehoods. Truth has been taken out of the public domain. Then he says why should anybody care many voters just shrug their shoulders they make the cynical but false assumption that all politicians are the same right and i bet there's a few of us who have tempted to think that many voters shrug their shoulders and make the cynical but false assumption that all politicians are the same and that really suits the cheats and the liars because it means that they escape invidious and damaging comparisons with the honest women and men who still pub, uh, populate the public stage. And I think that those of us who know people involved in politics personally, and I do across, across a whole range of political parties, those that I know that are involved in public life as MPs or uh, people in public office, all of the people that I can think of do so with extremely noble um, motives. It's not true of them that they're charlatans and uh, and liars. Treating all politicians and liars is a gift to the ones who are. Cynicism lazily lumps virtuous public servants with charlatans. It denies voters even the possibility of seeking honest government at the ballot box. Okay, so that's, I think that whatever your inclinations in politics, I think we should be We should really care about truthfulness in politics. It's so important. Um, But at a personal level, truthfulness alongside kindness is part of walking the way of Jesus, the narrow way, rather than speaking like an accuser, speaking like the accuser. And I think we're going to go into zones now uh, to do some craft activities or to be in the chat zone and think some more about how we can apply this in our lives.